I'm so glad to have you guys here with us this morning. Um, if you don't know me, my name is Madison, um, or Maddie, or MJ. I get called a lot of names that start with M, so as long as it's around that way, I'll probably respond. Um, uh, a little bit about me is that I work um, doing uh, youth work in the intermediate for the church and in the high school as well. So on Friday, I got horrifically sunburnt on my neck um, from being a timekeeper at the school swimming sports. It was very fun but also I hate being in the sun that long so shout out to Saskia who was there with me Um, it was fun and we also had UFX on Friday night and it was really it was really epic it was so good Um, the amount of intermediate students that brought into it was really amazing and cool to see like kids as young as 11 and 12 wanting to bring their friends and come and engage with God and so that was really amazing to see the response was great with all these kids taking wanting to take up that spiritual growth journey because that's the biggest thing for us, the team, and um, switch for the intermediates and the team and Revive Youth is that this is the time where it's so important that we they start making their own connection with God and not relying on their connection from their parents anymore. And so it was just great to see, even though some of the hands were little baby worship hands, like, oh, I don't want my friend to see I'm worshiping, but they were still doing it and it was still great. And yeah, it was just great to see the response. Um, as well as seeing kids joust each other with a giant pole and trying to hurt each other. Um, But then, like, coming in and loving each other, so that's good. Um, Anyways, today's message is on the Word, the spiritual rhythm of reading God's Word, reading the Bible, things like that. Um, And, like, where do you really start? Because I was thinking about this, and, like, Craig's like, you're going to do... Your message on the word. I'm like, cool. So I'm just going to stand up here and lecture you guys and be like, read your Bible. Like, oh, I don't want to be that person. That's like pretty boring. So I thought, uh, let's take a different angle on that today. And I want to talk about our heart posture behind reading our Bible. Because once we get the heart posture right, then actually reading our Bible doesn't become an issue. Um, And it's better than me being like, do this, do that, because I don't want to be that person. Um, So I understand that there could be a lot of us in this room that are pretty skeptical about the Bible. Um, And we probably have a lot of questions or a lot of problems with the Bible. Um, There's a few problematic stories, a lot of them being in the Old Testament, um, that make us really uncomfortable or maybe really cringed out or just really weirded out. Like, you know, there's stories of, like, donkeys talking. And I'm like, how am I supposed to believe that? Donkeys don't talk, only in Shrek. Like, how am I supposed to believe that it happened in the Bible? Or miraculous acts that you hear about or things like that that just seem really hard to understand or fathom or trust. Or maybe the really uncomfortable stories of, like, polygamy and incest and sexual assault, if we really want to get into that, and I just try to skip those pages. Or maybe even the teachings are really uncomfortable for you because they challenge our worldview no matter how far left or how far right-leaning you are. And because of all of these things, that the Bible can generally be a really uncomfortable topic, I think that there's been a generational breakdown of trust of the Bible. So many of us now view it as an obstacle in our faith, not a tool in our faith. Now, I'm skeptical by nature, and there are still parts of the Bible that I have to constantly wrestle with, things that I don't view as a big deal, but God views as a big deal, or things that I think are a big deal that God doesn't really address or talk about. Um, 
And I want to start off today, before I get into the rest of this message, that if you are someone that is currently wrestling with the Bible, that is okay. I have empathy for you, for those that are still battling with their view and processing, and I have empathy for you because I have wrestled, I will continue to wrestle, and I am currently wrestling with things that I feel weird about or cringy about or just generally uncomfortable about in the Bible. But this isn't what today's message is about, because that would mean that we're like putting the Bible on trial and trying to be like, oh, is he guilty or not guilty? And leaving us to be the judge, the jury and the executioner. And if you know anything about having a relationship with God, we know that we are too dumb to be the judge, the jury or the executioner in comparison to um, who God is. And while some of us need to go through that process to trust of almost putting the Bible on trial, It's not exactly the heart posture of an apprentice of Jesus. Another place we could start with the Bible is that we're looking at the claims it makes about itself. But and people say, like, you know, like the Bible says that it's the truth and the word of God. But I think that's kind of pretty pointless to look at it from that angle because you read books like the Quran or the Book of Mormon or the Book of Bhagavad Gita, whatever. I learned what that was recently. didn't know what it was. And they all say that they're the absolute truth. So why should we believe the Bible when it says that it's the absolute truth? Um, and even those that do, like of us in this room, that do trust in the Bible potentially have a really big problem with our heart posture. I know that there's been times in my life where I've stand, kind of stood at arm's length from the Bible and looked at it subjectively and objectively, and tried to intellectualize it in order to control it, not exactly made it a rhythm in my life, not exactly let it shape me and form me, rather than me trying to form it around what I like. So how does this thought process work when at church we're talking about, you know, letting the spiritual rhythms of Jesus shape our lives, when scripture reading was a rhythm in Jesus's life, and We should embrace that. Um, And I guess the main answer to that is that the rhythms of Jesus' life aren't practices that we should control and subject to our own personal lives and ideas for what's easiest for us, but rather the rhythm of Jesus' life should dictate the rhythms of our own. And the big issue with that, and if you know me a little bit, um, I'm a control freak. So this puts my control at odds with God's rhythm and at odds with my own spiritual growth and formation. And I think that that's why we all know people that know the word of God like it's the back of their hands, but you don't really see them as being full of love and goodness and kindness like Jesus teaches. That's why we see the most moronic people preaching outside of a Starbucks in Auckland City, telling everyone they're going to go to hell. Um, And they can give you a bunch of scriptures as to why you're probably going to go to hell, and that's probably correct. But I don't think that that's the way that Jesus would go about things. (laughs) Um, And that's because a lot of us have stood at arm lengths from the Bible, intellectualized it in order to control it and understand it, but we haven't submitted to it in an effort to obey it. So, right, where we're at. I'm a skeptic of the Bible who has a lot of questions and problems with the Bible. You've given me a list of reasons why I shouldn't trust it. This isn't going well. (laughs) So why should 
I trust it. And the answer's pretty easy because it's the answer you give any time a preacher asks a question. So I'm going to ask it and then I want everyone to give the answer. Like you're going it's, to, it's easy, it's Jesus. But it's really easy because when you're in church, the answer is always Jesus. Okay, ready? So why should I trust it? Jesus. Beautiful. It's easy, it's Jesus. Um, we should trust it because Jesus is the man and the God behind this spiritual rhythm. Jesus was a rabbi, which back in those days meant that he was a teacher and he was a teacher of the scriptures. So he would read, interpret and debate um, with other people that were interpreting scripture. And overall, the scripture was him. It was his memory. It was his view. It was God. It says, you know, that famous verse, the word was God. And with always was with God. I'm botching it, but you know, um, you get the idea. Um, And so, and even like my favorite thing about talking about scripture is um, when Jesus is debating with the Pharisees in John 10, 35, he claims that the scripture cannot be broken. In other um, versions, it might say, or altered, or set aside, or undone, or it doesn't lie, depending on the version you read. And Jesus, in the Bible, he's constantly quoting scripture. He's always in moments of temptation and sermons and confrontations and tributes to others and mourning of others. He's constantly, constantly um, yeah, quoting scripture. Even moments when he's on the cross, his final moments, he quotes scripture. It's incredible. Just think about how many times Jesus responds in debates in the Bible and you see it is written and he's quoting scripture all the time. And the reason... the for the Bible and why we should be reading it every day is not because we should be fascinated by like the ancient world. Like I'm putting Evie on blast right now because she's a classics teacher and I'm like, boring. Why would you want to study ancient coins in the ancient world? That's not the reason why we should be reading the Bible about contextualizing it and trying to figure out things like that. But the reason we should be reading the Bible is because we have come to love and trust an apprentice or disciple under Jesus. And at an intuitive level, we all know that the Word and Jesus, they're forever linked. There is no way you can legitimately be a follower of Jesus without investing in your Word. There's no way you can be a legitimate follower of Jesus if you do not read and meditate His teachings. And our trust in the Bible ultimately stems from our trust in Jesus. I don't trust in Jesus because I trust in the Bible. I trust in the Bible because I trust in Jesus. So if Jesus acts as the Bible is trustworthy and authoritative and good and powerful and truthful, then I will react in the same way. Even if my questions remain unanswered or the answers I receive are very unpopular. So... If we must start with Jesus, what does he say about Scripture? Matthew 5, 17 to 19 says, Don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth. Until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. 
but anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Um, so I'm just going to break that down for some of us. I'm used to doing this in um, youth, sorry, this is how I go, because a lot of kids are like, what's a Torah? Or like, what does this word mean? And so we break it down to make it real simple. So the law is the Torah, which is the Bible of Jesus' day. Most often it's the first five books of the Bible. Jewish um, people use it still to this day. Um, abolish, basically a better translation of that, and the Greek would actually be to disobey or disrespect, not really abolish, but rather deconstructing of the Bible. And a better translation also, instead of accomplish, would be that it would be to coming to pass through him, through God. And um, so back to anyone who ignores, that's the same translation as abolish, and the same one as disobey and disrespect, and the same one as deconstruct. And then teaching others to do the same means, you know, when we teach others to abolish or disobey or disrespect. So this is how I would present it to young people. Um, The reason I, Jesus, am here is not to tear down, deconstruct, and disobey the Bible. I am here to make it come to pass through me. God's word will outlast all things, and the world will not end until his word comes to pass. So if you try to deconstruct or disobey or abolish it, and you um, employ others to do the same, you will be called the least in heaven. But anyone who places more importance on obeying God's word and putting it into practice will be recognised as great in heaven. For Jesus, how we approach the Bible and the level of our experience in the kingdom is linked. If you don't set aside the Bible and deconstruct it, but rather take it really seriously, and especially Jesus' teachings on the Bible, and work at it and practice it, and teach others how to practice it and work with it, then you will be called one of the great ones in the kingdom. It goes on to a warning in verse 20, where it says, But I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. He then goes on to teach the Bible, and throughout the chapter, he quotes from Exodus and Deuteronomy, basically all the things from the Torah, and he calls into question not only um, the Pharisees' interpretation of the Bible, but also the practice of their heart behind reading the Bible. And so, what has that got to do with us today? I believe that the Bible now is kind of stuck in a cultural war. And there's two main views that I see a lot of Christians falling into. And one is I'm going to call that cultural document view. And the other one I'm going to call the golden tablet view. So I'm calling it, trying to like minimize it when I call it that cultural document. Because there's a lot of people out in the world today that are just like, The Bible kind of sucks, and I kind of hate it, and it's really uncomfortable, and it says a lot of things I don't agree with. So I'm just going to relegate it down to the fact that it's like a cultural document. Like maybe maybe it's got a few good things in there. Maybe it's like worth kind of keeping, but it does feel really irrelevant and behind in the times. And you know what? Some parts of the Bible, I think, this is what the people that are thinking, not me. Um, The people that believe in this view believe that it's intolerant, but 
its saving grace is that it's a document with a lot of cultural value, that the morals and ethics inside of this document help shape our governments and our laws that we have today. Um, and the poetry in it is pretty beautiful, especially when you come to a time where it's a funeral and you're like, don't know what to say, so I'll just whip out a Bible verse. Or maybe you're at a wedding and it's like, oh, I guess I'll just whip out a Bible verse. That's pretty good. But, um, and the other great thing about it that makes it a great cultural document is that a lot of philosophical thinking back in the day had a lot to do with Jesus. Jesus was a great philosopher. Um, but people with this view that believe that it's a cultural document worth keeping around, although they don't really agree with it, often fail to view the Bible as scripture, but rather just a piece of literature, and have a hard time accepting the Bible as divine as well. And so the second view that I often see a lot is this golden tablet view, and I also have a problem with this. They be- a lot of these people <laughs> believe that the Bible is something that just dropped out of the sky from God, And they were like, here you go, this is perfect and fully made and whole and amazing and don't touch it or do anything about it. And that it came straight from God and that there was little to no human involvement in its creation. It has zero errors, zero contradictions. It's not weird at all. And in fact, it's clear and easy to understand and the world's greatest manual for living. And a lot of them have this idea of the Bible says it, I believe it. That settles it. No questioning, no diving deeper into their faith. And the issue with this view is that it actually completely ignores the hard work of interpretation of Scripture. Um, And the Golden Tablet view does a great job at understanding the Bible as Scripture, but not as literature. It doesn't often accept the fact that there is a very real and very human side to the Bible which the Bible doesn't actually hide away or shy away from showing anyways, yet the people with this view do. And these views and cultural war on our view of the Bible as both literature and scripture is not uncommon. It's been going on since the very first century. Um, Jesus's two favorite groups to, I guess, um, debate or um, tell them that they're wrong all the time, is the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And they hold very similar views to that I've just explained. So the Sadducees often held a very that cultural document view. Um, They're a smaller group of upper class, um, educated Jerusalem elite. Um, They were the power brokers of the day. They held a lot of influence, had a lot of money, basically use their intellect to influence the economy, society, everything. And um, they really set up the trajectory of Israel's future within the Roman Empire, kind of scattering them all about. And they were really like airy-fairy, take-it-or-leave-it about the scriptures, like very laissez-faire, that's the word I learned recently, so I'm going to use it, um, around the scriptures. And they didn't consider anything other than the Torah, scripture. Um, And they were really open to new interpretations, basically whichever interpretation made their life easier. They were like, let's go with that one. Um, And they were um, refused to believe as well in the supernatural. So anything that mentioned um, resurrections, angels, demons are like, "Mm, doesn't happen, impossible. So they ditched a whole bunch of that in the Bible. So we come to Mark 12, 18 to 19. And we talk about um, Jesus' experience with some of the Sadducees. Then Jesus was approached by some Sadducees, 
religious leaders who say there is no resurrection from the dead. They pose this question. Teacher, Moses gave us a law that if a man dies, leaving a wife without children, his brother should marry the widow and have a child who will carry on the brother's name. Um, I already accept that this story is sounding weird. Um, it is in the Bible, so it probably does sound weird. Um, but it's actually a really beautiful act of social justice for women back in those times, um, especially in an era without support and welfare. So was, I just wanted to add that on. It's really beautiful. Anyways, Mark 12, 20 to 23. Well, suppose there were seven brothers. The oldest one married and then died without children. So the second brother married the widow. But he also died without children. Then the third brother married her. This continued with all seven of them, and still there were no children. Last of all, the woman also died. So tell us, whose wife will she be in the resurrection? For all seven were married to her. These are the kinds of questions that if I was Jesus, I'd just be like, shut up, you're so annoying. Like, why are you trying to like, like, I'm in the middle of teaching this, probably this really nice sermon, and they're just like, so actually, um, and then they're just like trying to ask you the most annoying person to try and like trip you up as possible. It's like, Anyways, they're just there trying to cause issue or contempt or like just like have a really arrogant heart posture, even in the framing of this question. And they're trying to attack God's power to resurrect and God's power to attack Scripture all in one question. Um, so then Jesus just comes back at them with like the best serve ever in history in this reply. Um, and Jesus, I wish I had the perfect balance of love and truth like he does. Um, and he expresses it here, but most of the time it's either too lovely or too truthful. But he, he does it perfect. Um, Mark 12, 24 to 27 says, Jesus replied, your mistake is that you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. For when the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. In this respect, they will be like the angels in heaven. But now as to whether the dead will be raised, haven't you ever read about this in the writings of Moses and the story of the burning bush? Long after Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had died, God said to Moses, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So he is the God of the living, not the dead. You have made a serious error. Jesus is saying, you don't know. You don't actually know the scriptures. You don't actually know how they work together. You don't actually know how to read them. You don't actually know how to apply them to life. You're missing out because of this on the power of God inside of the Bible. You don't know. Whereas he now comes to a conversation with the Pharisees who held a very similar view to those with the golden tablet view. And if you don't know what a Pharisee was, they were this populist movement more in like the small town countryside, um, rural areas of the time. And they were a lot more conservative um, and they were all about the Bible. They were like reading it, committing it to memory, like probably if they could have had tattoos of the verses all over their bodies, but they didn't believe in tattoos. Um, synagogue studies that lasted hours. Um, they did all of that thing. They were fully, fully devoted. But over time, they kind of like decided, you know what, the Bible's not big enough. I'm going to add some stuff to it. Um, if you, you know, like Jesus would um, 
Yeah, they added a bunch of stuff to it. And Jesus basically referred to them when he was here as human traditions. Um, And they were later codified and it's still used today in Judaism. That's why they're seen as such a conservative sect because they basically kept a lot of the stuff that the Pharisees put in place. Um, And so Jesus um, points out to them in John 5, 39 to 47, that their heart posture is wrong. John 5, 39, 47 says, You search the Scriptures because you think they give you eternal life, but the Scriptures point to me. Yet you refuse to come to me to receive this life. Your approval means nothing to me because I know you don't have God's love within you. For I have come to you in my Father's name and you have rejected me. Yet if others came um, in their own name, you gladly welcome them. No wonder you can't believe, for you gladly honour each other, but you don't care about the honour that comes from the one who alone is God. Yet it isn't I who will accuse you before the Father. Moses will accuse you. Yes, Moses, in whom you put your hopes. If you really believed Moses, you would believe me, because he wrote about me. But since you don't believe what he wrote, how will you believe what I say? Jesus is pointing out to them that they study the Scriptures for the wrong reason. The Bible, for them, is a means to an end, and that end is that um, they make it to heaven. But that's actually not all that the end goal is. The Bible is actually a means to an end for us that um, we become people who are full of light and full of love and in the kingdom of God, and that we're extending the hand to invite others into the kingdom of God, not creating more laws to push people out. Still, at this level, um, at the level of technique and like intellectualizing the Bible and not dealing with the inner dynamics of our heart posture towards the Bible and Jesus himself, um, it doesn't actually really work out in our spiritual growth. We don't actually really grow when we're trying to intellectualize the Bible a lot. Knowing how the context of the Bible works is really helpful for interpreting, but it actually doesn't really grow you learning how things in the ancient world works, which is why we're not all called to go off to Bible college and become Bible scholars, because that's not the necessary requirements in order to read your Bible well and in order to experience spiritual transformation from your Bible. Um, 2 Timothy 3, 14 to 17 talks about how Scripture grows us spiritually. It says, But you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know they are true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God does it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. The scripture outlines four things that scripture does for us. The first is it teaches us. It reveals to us this whole new possibility of life in the kingdom and experiencing wholeness in Christ. The second thing it does is it rebukes us. A lot of us don't like that part, me included. Um, And it reveals to us all the ways we are currently living 
that are out of sync or out of alignment with experiencing that wholeness in Christ. Um, It also corrects us. And that is the hard work of actually being brought back into alignment with Christ. And it also trains us. And that's the process of nurturing and growth through discipline, education, structure. And it's to expand um, and achieve our potential of wholeness in Christ. And I think what happens is a lot of the time we kind of go down the line and it starts to get harder and harder and harder. And so we kind of just either give up or refer back to our old view because it seemed a lot easier. And I want to say that technique when reading the Bible is important. It is. Reading it in context, understanding how to tell the difference between like poetry and historical books, prophetic books, because I always get confused whenever I read Revelation. I'm like, is this actually going to happen, or is this just prophetic? Also, how does propheticness in that book work? It's confusing. Um, the, uh, understanding how to interpret Scripture well and also understand other people's interpretations, all of these things are really important and really good. And I can give you a bunch of lists of different places to go look at resources for. There's like the Bible Project, Theos U, Bible Hub, Bible Gateway. There's hundreds of different books, commentaries, all of that. But scripture reading as a spiritual rhythm requires more than technique. We have to read it with the right heart posture. Um, So I think that A lot of the issue with our heart posture when reading the Bible is that we're reading it informationally, not formationally. Information is a form of power. It's a, um, you know, that whole knowledge of knowledge is power, that saying, like, we're in the digital age, we're trained to read things for information all the time. Um, You know, I'll flick through, you know, when you're like looking at a recipe and it's a blog and then the mum's like, I made this on a sunny day. And you're like, I don't care, where's the recipe? Like, I'm just scrolling for the information. Um, And we're trained to read um, in this way for information um, in order to give us the power to control our own lives. Um, And, you know, because the more information we have, the better we can do things. And it's all to become a better master of our own life. But this is exact opposite, like exactly opposite to the core teachings of Christ. That we would actually give up control and give it over to Jesus and come to trust in him. But that's not how informational reading works. Informational reading is us turning through as many things as possible till we receive the information, not necessarily that we need, but maybe the information that we want. Whereas formational reading is about quality, not quantity. We slow down, we meditate on the text, and we wait for God to speak. Informational reading is linear. Now that I know this, I need to learn about this. Now that I know this fact, let's do more research here. And you build knowledge that way, whereas formational reading isn't about the linear side, how much you know, it's about how deep you can go. It's about the depth and the mystery and opening your heart. The goal of informational reading is to master the text, to get our head around it, to bring it under our control to use for our purposes. The goal of formational reading 
is that we would be mastered by the text, mastered by God through the text, to come under its control and be used for God's purposes. These are completely, entirely different ways of reading, and it's going to take us a lot of time to get out of that informational rhythm and into that formational rhythm. And I want to say that informational reading is not bad. It's very important, especially when it comes to our jobs and comes to even life in general. When you really need that recipe, I'm skipping through the lady's story. But to be reading the Bible in this way, where we're only looking for information, it's doing God, his word, and ourselves a major disservice. To read the Bible as formational to, um, is to become complete human beings. It's to chase after the potential that we have and to be all that God has called us to be. But it also involves a very deep shift in the inner dynamics of our being. If I could get Rimuru Saskia up, that would be cool. Um, in Romans 12:2, it says, classic, um, classic verse everyone would have heard before, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And I don't know about you, but I've kind of alluded and straight up just told you that I'm a bit of a control freak. Um, so the idea of God conforming me or God grasping me or God controlling and shaping me is actually really extremely confrontational to me. And it's probably my biggest nightmare. If you know anything about the Enneagram, and I'm an eight, so my biggest fear in life is to um, have someone control me or be in a vulnerable position where someone takes over for me. Um, and why do I have such an issue with it when it comes to God? Because I want to be in control, and I can't if God is. So if you're a grasper like me, you'll powerfully resist being grasped by God. If you're a controller like me, you're probably um, inherently incapable of yielding all control to God. Um, people that are used to manipulating things to get what they want is strongly reject being shaped by God. And information gatherers are structurally closed to being addressed by God. We have extreme difficulty in abiding and waiting patiently and going slowly and trusting and persevering and to be shaped by God according to God's agenda, not our own. And this idea of being reformed and letting go um, actually reverses our control of being the subject that controls the objects in our world, in this case, the Bible, but to being the object of God's loving purpose who seeks to control us for our perfect and his complete wholeness. It reverses our expectation for habitual and instant gratification to a posture of patient and open-hearted submission. Genuine spiritual formation takes us from being our own production to God's creation. Our greatest spiritual and mental challenge as followers of Christ is learning to give up this illusion of control that we all have and learning to trust in Jesus 
and have faith. And I think a lot of us have a problem with the Bible because it's constantly confronting us with that truth. And it will confront all the ways that I've been trying to have control. It will confront my life, my circumstances, the people in my life. Spiritually, sometimes I think I can be guilty of trying to use prayer or fasting and other practices like Scripture to try and get God to give me control. But when I actually do the work and the deep rhythm setting work, the bottom line is that as long as I am trapped in my ego, as long as I am trapped in my driven need for control, I'm not free to become the person of love and joy and peace that I so greatly wish I can become and that Jesus is calling me to be. There's something about coming to the end of ourselves, coming to the end of our vanity, the end of our ego and our need for control of our life and giving it all over to God um, and coming to a posture of submission to God and that's where the basis of all our freedom, all our maturity, all our love and all our joy and peace is. And I often think of that, that scripture where it talks about denying yourself and taking up your cross. And denying yourself isn't about doing the right thing despite our impulses and following what God teaches. Because in all honesty, whenever I've tried to do that, I've basically failed, especially when I'm using my own strength Rather, denying yourself actually looks like um, what we've been discussing, um, a yielding, a submission, a letting go and letting God through His power and strength and guidance make the right decision with you and for you. All of us at some level resist the move of the Holy Spirit in this arena. And if you're someone like that, I really want to encourage you to come tonight. Um, to the healing meeting because you'll see moves of God like you've um, happened. We're all really believing for it and Don's pretty good at it. Um, and you're going to see um, the beauty of giving up control and letting go. Um, and I think that we all have trouble in this area because I'm a classic and you see kids all the time have this you're not the boss of me attitude don't tell me what to do um, it's an attitude that my brother held when I was left in charge um, and babysitting um, <laughs> and things like that we see it in children we see it in adults we all have this need from birth till the end of needing to be in control or wanting to be in control and our ego and need for control is actually our biggest problem our biggest predicament and we need to be saved from this by grace and through faith. The giving up of control and allowing God to take charge of our formation and knowing that we are not capable of saving ourselves means denying ourselves and giving control to Him. So a lot of times we'd come to this part where I'd be like, if you want prayer, I'm going to pray for you. But I think that's kind of the spiritual rhythms series that isn't really doing it justice because I can pray for you that you implement what we've talked about. I can pray that your heart posture changes, but that's also an everyday decision that you have to make. That's something that has to sit with you. So 
I want to instead give you some next steps in your growth for you to do yourself, to take responsibility. We've been talking about this in youth a lot, saying that it's your responsibility now, like trying to put that on them, that you guys, as their parents, can't carry the faith for them anymore. It's their own responsibility. So I'd love if each and every single adult in here recognises and takes on that it's their responsibility in order to set that for their own children. So what's next? Here are a few questions I'd love for you to reflect on, either with yourself or if you're brave enough with some close friends, maybe your husband, your wife, um, or someone that's really close with you, or just yourself, it's fine. Um, But make sure that they're a follower of Jesus as well, because otherwise these questions could be really weird. Um, So here are some questions to reflect on. Where is your relationship at with the Bible? Be honest. Your relationship with the Bible is tied in your relationship with Jesus. So if you're taking that seriously, you need to evaluate your relationship with the Bible. What is your routine when it comes to reading the Bible? Don't start where you think you should be is a tip for me from me as well. Don't be like, oh, this person reads for like 45 minutes every day. Don't start there if you're trying to. Spiritual growth is the act of taking one step closer to Jesus. It doesn't have to be a big one. It can be a small one. We want to start where we're capable of. We don't want to start big. Um, Start where you're at and we work to increase, taking a step closer to God. For me, the first thing I do when I wake up is pick up my phone because, you know, I'm 20-something. So, you know, you just pick up your phone, sure. So the thing that I do is every time my alarm goes off, the first app I open is my Bible app because then at least I'm doing the bad thing of picking up my phone, but at least I'm reading the Word of God as the first thing that I do that day, that I filter my Instagram feed through the scriptures that I've just read, um, things like that. Um, Some people do a lot better um, at reading the Word at night before they go to bed. I don't know your schedule. You may have kids who are a nightmare um, from the minute that they wake up until they go to sleep. So maybe as soon as they go to sleep is the best time for you to read your Bible. Whatever it is, um, discuss that with someone. Make sure that you have a routine when it comes to reading your Bible. And this week, this is a little challenge for you. When you come to read or listen to your Bible, Don't focus on the information. This is going to be hard, but check the posture of your heart after each scripture you read. Let go of your ego and embrace a submissive attitude towards scripture, to his word. And also, if you're brand new to reading your Bible, please don't start in like Exodus or something or like Numbers. Don't start there, please. Um, Genesis is great, but if you want some advice, Come talk to someone who looks like they know what they're doing. Like we've all, we're all on this journey. We've all made mistakes in reading our Bible. Don't read Revelation first either, please. Um, but come talk to us. A great place to start is in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're all great places. Psalms is great. But come talk to us. We want to help you. We're here in community and fellowship trying to do this journey together. You're not out on your own. This isn't a shame thing either of like, oh, I haven't been doing this. There's plenty of us that haven't been doing this. I went through a space of time and like the school, like summer holidays where I kind of didn't pick up my Bible for about a month. And then I felt real bad about it and I didn't want to tell anyone. And then when I finally told someone and did a plan with someone on the Bible app, then I got back into that rhythm again. This is all about us journeying together, not you trying to journey alone. 
So to end, the act of daily Bible reading is a conscious act of making room for God, His Word, His voice, His truth, making room for love as well as correction. And instead of us questioning and interrogating the Bible for information, rather we need to let it question us and interrogate us for our formation and for our wholeness. The reason that we can trust Jesus enough to surrender to, to submit to Him, is because He first surrendered Himself. It's not my will, but yours. Um, Into your hands I commit my spirit. I put my life into your hands. These are all scriptures and prayers that Jesus prayed, and He asks us to do the same. We love Him because He first loved us. We give up our control and surrender to Him because He first gave up control and surrender in order to save us. I'd love if everyone would just close their eyes and bow their head, and I'd love to pray for everyone this morning. Yeah, God, I thank you for every single person in this room, Father. I thank you that we're all on this journey together, Father, that when times get hard or times get tough, there's people that we can rely on and pull into, Father, that um, the spiritual formation, these spiritual rhythms aren't things that are meant to harm us or aren't things that are meant to make life harder for us, but in fact make things easier for us to take up that burden, take up that yoke, and that we would be able to really implement these spiritual rhythms in our life. I pray specifically for reading our Bibles, Father, that this idea of reading for information or this idea that um, the Bible is some random cultural document or this golden tablet or whatever it is, that all these false views of your word would fall off in this place, Father, that as we take those steps into reading your word each day, we would allow it to form us, Father, that we would be able to... um, be people not that not be people that not only know the scriptures well, but people that um, live out the scriptures in our everyday as well, Father. I just pray that as we do this journey together, as we do these spiritual growth journey together, Father, and we apply these rhythms, that each and every single one of us would be able to reflect with an open heart and submission to you, Father. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I'll I'll give it to you.